0: welcome to Signals from the Hill. My name's Stephen Walsh. Shortly I'll be talking to Alex Potts, the creator of books such as A Quiet Disaster and It's Cold in the River at Night, which have been published by Avery Hill, but also a creator who's made his own comics and appeared in various anthologies, and we talk about all that and Alex's early life as a comics reader as well. First up, some news. It being January, a lot of awards and best of lists for 2017 have been handed out and we're delighted to announce that we won Best Publisher at the Broken Frontier Awards. We've been nominated for a few years, and this is the first time we've actually made the breakthrough and win, so thanks to everyone for voting for us, and thanks to Broken Frontier for organising the awards. We're also delighted that Elise Weaver was nominated for Something City in three different categories, and actually won the Breakout Talent Award, so congratulations to Elise as well. As well as her Breakout Talent Award at the Broken Frontier Awards, Elise has also enjoyed seeing Something City turn up on a few Best of 2017 lists, and indeed being named Indie Comic of the Year by Pipe Dream Comics. So again, congratulations Elise. As we mentioned previously, later this year we've got The Great Northwood, Tim Bird's first long-form graphic novel coming out, and to celebrate that, our January special offer in our web store is 25% off any Tim Bird title. That includes all the issues of his award-winning grey area books, uh, and any issue of uh, Reads, which Tim has regularly appeared in. If you go to averyhillpublishing.com and click on the shop icon in the top left-hand corner, that will show you the full selection of titles available. And to make use of the discount, use the code THEBIRD at checkout. That's THEBIRD as one word, T-H-E-B-I-R-D. And now, let's talk to Alex. Hello, Alex. Welcome to Signals from the Hill. Hello, Steve. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) Let's start off with a bit of uh, general comics chat. Did you read comics when you were a kid or growing up?
1: Yeah, yeah. Since um, my dad first bought me the Beano, and I suppose I was about, I imagine, about five, but maybe a bit older. Yeah, so since then, before that, no.
0: And did it? Is it something that stuck with you through through your sort of childhood, or was it just like the be no from time to time? You know, comics comics were around a, a, a lot more uh, previously, weren't they, for for kids? I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, they they just seemed to be everywhere. They were just for me a part of life for for pretty much from yeah from for the last thirty seven years or something, I suppose. <laughs> Um, there's some quick maths for you there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you had
0: a beano to start off with, and any the other sort of kids' ones? Wizard and Chips and the Dandy? And...
1: Well, I didn't like the Dandy. Um, <laughs> <but> Wizard <laughs> and Chips and uh, Buster, and I remember Topper. Um, and then other stuff that came afterwards.
0: And then your, uh, your, I guess the natural transition then would be the sort of adventure comics, sort of Tiger and Eagle and that sort of thing? Or?
1: Yeah, I didn't quite get there. I mean, okay. I remember Roy of the Rovers a little bit. Yeah, and, yeah. And then the Eagle a little bit, when that was relaunched, I Right, had the first one of them, and, and I think, you know, really tried to like that and didn't get going. <laughs> 2000 AD I did somewhat more. And then after I don't know, when but there was there was all the superhero reprints, you know, the British Marvel comics that I that I liked. Um, I wonder how old I was then. Maybe around ten or something uh, I was reading superhero comics too.
0: Perfect age, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: um and then um let me see. And then at some point I discovered, oh, there's American comics, you know, right, and, right. and they're, they're more, a bit more proper, even <laughs> though it's perhaps written on in English for some reason. And, um, and and I was into them for a good few years. But then, and stop me if you, well, slow me down if you want, but then around about the age of, say, 15 or 16, they started seeming a bit crap. To me, and um, at some point, I bought I bought something with like five different covers, right? And that's right. the first time i have done that. And, yeah, and yeah. I, I didn't. Eat, I read. One, I bought one to read, and then I bought one of all the others in special bags. And I read one, and I thought, I don't even like this. I <laughs> and um, but it, that um, around about the same time, I was starting to read Hate and Eight Ball.
0: This is um, like the perfect transition, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that
0: moment, that moment of disillusionment, but and, you know, a lot of people at that point would drop out from comics, but instead you find a, the next sort of platform to jump onto. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was it was really good, that. Crikey. And it was just a nice time for it, too, because yeah, yeah, it was like um, they were both still in single digits and they were re- gradually reprinting the old ones as well so you could get all of them easily and... Um, yeah, and then just sort of keep up. Yeah, that was brilliant.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. It, it sounds like you had like the sort of idyllic developmental comics reading sure. journey, jumping from like kids' comics, and then just as you're getting out of kids' comics, you get the superhero comics, and then just as you get in out of the superhero comics, you get into the underground stuff. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. I suppose it all joined up. Yeah, and then obviously from there it opens up a whole world of comics to you once you're sort of like, you know, getting a link to the the, the Fantagraphics stuff and things like that.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I don't, sort of, but I mean, my progress definitely slowed right down there. Right, I didn't right. you know I'd still read all of that to this day. And so opening up a whole world of it, I don't know, for a long time I was... Yeah, I, w- I was quite happy just buying whatever new Fantagraphics and Drawn and Quarterly stuff came out. Um, and it, it seemed like there was never enough, you know, so right, you were always right. just, uh, going down the comic shop just in case there was something new. Um, and that went on for years. And then, um, I don't know, there's, there's been this gradual, sh- from my eyes anyway, it's shifting to everything... Coming out as a as a great big book instead, right? And, yeah. And yeah. at first, I wanted to just buy every single one of them, and then it that looked just looked good, and soon there were too many of them.
0: It's <laughs> feast and famine, isn't it? That's the
1: uh... <laughs> yeah, suppose so. Um, but now now I don't buy so many, so yeah, it's pretty rare when I actually find stuff that I want to buy.
0: And when you said go back going down the comic shop, did you have a shop local to you uh, when you were growing up, or buying these ones? Or
1: yeah, I mean, um, well, I suppose the main one in Leeds was called Odyssey at the time, which then got bought by Forbidden Planet. Right. Um, but I mean, um, yeah, I should say there was there was uh, this chap working in there who I believe is uh, Jared who runs OK Comics now. So. I think it was him who was getting all the really good stuff in that I was buying in Leeds. Plus, there was another shop. I don't know what it was called. It, um, yeah, it didn't. It was only open a few years, and I was buying all the hate and hate from there. And then I was away at university and not, didn't really have regular places to go. And then I moved to London and just went to Gosh.
0: <laughs> That'll do it. Mm-hmm. I've never actually met Gerald uh, or to okay, but from what I understand, that's a good... Uh, comics consultant to have at the shop who's going to sort of like point you at the good stuff
1: yeah I didn't really know him you know I just kind of knew who he was I think but yeah I mean I think he I I don't know I think he was the reason why they had all the good stuff
0: right right And, uh, you know, at what point you obviously, uh, you know, you work in animation and you work in in visual art generally. um, But how long have you been sort of making comics or thinking about making comics? What age was that when it sort of became
1: a a thing to consider and then a thing to sort of do? Um, Well, I've liked drawing for about as long as I've liked comics. So you could say I I was probably attempting making comics pretty soon after starting to read them I don't really know though um, but I never I never finished anything right <laughs> <laughs> so so suppose to properly answer your question when did I first finish one and that, that would be like the late 90s I first put out um, a self-published comic when I lived in Manchester but by by saying how I put it out you know I kind of I had photocopied it and stapled it, and then I think I just gave it to people. Right. That was, yeah, 25 of them.
0: And (laughs) have you still got a copy of that yourself?
1: Yeah, I think I've got one or two,
0: yeah. In the archive.
1: Yeah, and then about, like, five years later, I managed another one. Right, right. in London. And I think I was doing one, like, every five years and gradually getting slightly better at getting people to look at it. I must have quickened it up or something at some point. <laughs> um, so oh, these were called um, Lost Shoe Comics, and I had a like, little cast of characters that lasted for the first three issues on these daft adventures. And then um, then I did Lost Shoe Comics number four. I was well in London by then, and that, the comic strip I put in that, I'd, I'd entered for the, um, might have been the first of the, um, Observer, Jonathan Cape, Comica competitions. You could only have one page. The entry was one page then. Oh, right. And I squeezed in loads and loads of panels onto one page. Um, so many that I discovered I could just cut it up and space them out differently and fill like 24 pages. <laughs> 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 so you did
0: an issue on a page? Yeah. <laughs> just my thumbnail it down.
1: I mean, all right, when I collected it, I had uh, added a couple more strips at the back. Yeah, right, uh, right. Kind of like that, yeah. Not that there it was, it was a lot of substance to it.
0: <laughs> I first saw your stuff uh, through the Comics Reader, uh, which is right. a yeah, fantastic anthology series uh, that I don't know the status at the moment. Is it, would you say, on hiatus? I mean, it's hard to sort of know. Never had a regular sort of release show or anything,
1: did it? So no. <laughs> 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 it's funny. It's good you mentioned that at that point, because that would probably be what, what came next. There's generally been a feeling of uncertainty in between the last few issues of whether there would be another one. I'm not, I don't mean to cast doubt on whether they'll, you know, and say... No, no, it it's just not.
0: we don't know, do we? That's the thing, yeah.
1: Oh, I have no idea.
0: <laughs> but, um, yeah, a remarkable project in terms of the creators involved, and like I loved the, you know, the format of it, big sort of, like, tabloid yeah. newsprint. It's a beautiful thing, beautiful object as well, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, lovely thing, and it's yeah, like Richard Cowdery's idea, and, and you know, that's, that's he's the reason that happened, but well, I was glad to be involved in it and stuff, um, but yeah, I liked, um, I think I think loads of us enjoyed the way it was um, printed on the same stuff as the old uh, Wizard and Chips and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it looked, um, looked and felt great uh, as a sort of read. Yeah, and it was like cheap enough that you didn't care if you folded it in half and stuffed it in your back pocket while you were sitting on the bus or something. I like no, that. Yeah. A lot
0: too. We used to have them uh, on the till point at Gosh, and they were just okay. so good as, as things to point at people or just let have as an. It's a classic impulse purchase, isn't it? Where it's like this is a pound, and look how much stuff you're getting from so many people, and it's good as well. That's the other sort of like you know thing that made it a very easy sell. You did some other um, interesting uh, anthology projects. I don't know about the the chronology of them, but um, I noticed the sort of, not a trend, I guess it would be accidental, because you can never really have any sort of plan or path through these things. But um, it seems like there was a a time you did a lot of sort of themed anthologies, some really interesting ones as well.
1: Oh, there were a few of those, yeah. I mean, basically my attitude towards anthologies was um, I'm rubbish at, getting my work out. So if you submit something to an anthology, it's the same with going to a publisher. You've got someone else whose main motivation is to, or main job is to, to get it out there. You know, they do the bit that I don't do. So um, anthologies are just a nice way of getting comics into other people's hands that you never met. I don't know. And then those themed ones. Yeah. So there was the woo-wai and there was the bit of undigested potato yeah, um, Wu
0: Wei that, was uh, Mike's one on spirituality, which was uh, nice, uh, and uh, uh, a bit of undigested potato was uh, Kira Stewart's one on uh, dreams and nightmares, wasn't it? Which again is a sort of fascinating topic for an anthology, I think.
1: Yeah, that was a good one. I mean, who hasn't got a, got one of those? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. you did a
0: couple of things with uh, Jim Medway as well, didn't you? Oh yeah,
1: yeah, Jimmy. Well, I've, um, I've. We went we were in the same class at school oh, you really? know yeah wow so yeah when he was doing um, comic comical animal that yeah is an online online animal comic for children and virgin um, funnies, yeah. yeah two issues of that that was nice
0: you did uh, you had a piece in uh, two arms which was uh, an anthology that Matthew Duncan put together all about the centenary of uh, the Great War wasn't it
1: yeah, yeah. And that used um, the, the character that I had in um, Comical Animal. Um,
0: Robert, the, Robert Pigeon.
1: the Pigeon. Yeah, yeah. Steve, you know. But <laughs> <laughs> well, it was really interesting, sort of, sort
0: of seeing Robert the Pigeon work in a couple of different contexts in like a kid's humour comic and then in an anthology about this horrific conflict. Yeah, wonder what I thought of trying that. <laughs> no, but it's, I think it, it sort of they, it makes <laughs> sense in both contexts. But it's a great sort of. Um, I always think if you have a project like that where it's a sort of you know uh, a concept that you're you're comfortable with and like things that you ha- you like drawing, but it can work in a lot of things. Particularly, you know, if mm-hmm. anthologies come up and they go, oh, we're looking for this. Yeah, like, yeah, I've got one that can can work with that. You know, it's. Uh, I think uh, there's there's something to be said for almost taking on the challenge of a themed anthology you know you can always have a page or a strip ready for for an anthology that will say we need a one page or a three page have being able to sort of adapt things to a specific idea do you think that's something that comes from freelancing and working in animation having that sort of flexibility
1: maybe yeah because i'm i'm completely used to working to order and my, my whole living is is still doing creative stuff but um to other people's specifications so so, yeah, maybe that is where it comes from. I mean, I don't know what it would be like to not be used to doing that. So, But I can easily imagine, yeah, it, it, it might not be so easy uh, for people who are used to only doing their own work, self-motivated stuff, to, to have to do something to a specific theme. But I always like it, you know. I mean, um, having some kind of limitations imposed on you makes you be more creative, not less. So it's good, although you can always come up with something. I mean, the pin anthologies... Well, there's at least one that I really wanted to be in and I just couldn't get anything to submit, you know, um, couldn't come up with anything. <laughs> so it's not always easy, but I, I think it's it's great for creativity.
0: Yeah, I think it's like a, a sort of virtuous circle, isn't it? Where you sort of you can alternate between having freedom to pursue your own projects, but then like taking these challenges on to go, oh, can I can I bend my abilities to this particular idea?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you can mess about with your style and you know, different ways of telling stories and ways that you don't feel quite so committed to. You know. Um, yeah, it's not your name on the front.
0: It's not someone yeah. coming along necessarily just for you, so you can almost sort of surprise people a little bit.
1: I, I could mention Stripburger here. You know, um, I, I've, submit, I've, had, I've been printed in like four or five issues of Stripburger in um, Slovenia. I don't know if you know them. I
0: do. I, I, I think it's a, a tremendous magazine. Um, yeah. Again, beautiful production values. I mean, the smell yeah. of the ink that comes off the paper—it is—it's <laughs> it is, it's like so pungent and strong and rich, isn't it? And like yeah. it is a—I think it's a great array. You know, similar to um, the comics reader, a great array of creators as well. You know, just this idea that you know in ljubljana you've got. This little collective that's sort of like scouring Europe and the world to find content—it's remarkable, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. I don't, I don't know how it works, but um, I hope it keeps going. I mean, they've just done um, seventy-five issues or something. Some yeah, yeah, diversity. it's incredible, incredible. Um, but what I mean, what I enjoyed about that is the the thought that is. Um, it's not really coming out here but it it must have a big kind of audience so I can really kind of do stuff that I wouldn't normally do (laughs) Um, so it was I I, I submitted all my kind of weird sort of depressing stuff to them and really got into that and it probably changed the way that I work altogether you know I mean less attempts to be funny (laughs) I'd sent some pretty stupid stuff to them as well and they printed that so I don't know
0: (laughs) <laughs> but I think it's nice again to have that sort of range to your work, you know, in terms of being able to do humour comics for kids and then, you know, odder stuff for a Slovenian anthology. <laughs> you know I mean, it's, it, there's a great sort of spectrum that you're you're traversing there, isn't there?
1: I suppose so. Yeah, it just kind of feels natural, though. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's
0: just fun. It's fun. Um, Moving on to your own work, as you say, you've uh, self-published um, a few comics and distribute them yourself mm. um and as you say you know that's the big difference of anthologies isn't it when you're you're self-publishing and self-distributing you know you're spending time making the work and then time literally making the work getting it printed up and uh, storing it and then you've got to get it to shops and shows and into punter's hands you, you did that a few times i'm assuming you did a few uh, shows as well Oh, well, like, uh, comics fair. Yeah, that thing. sort of thing,
1: yeah. Yeah, I've, I've done a few of those, yeah. I was ne- never very good at getting out to that many, but whenever I did it, I always liked it.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's mm-hmm. a great sort of... Uh, you really get the sense of sort of camaraderie and community within uh, the comics world there, don't
1: you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. E- uh, even if... Or maybe I was going to say even if it's a quiet one, but maybe because it's a quiet one, you get you, you know you meet more people that way, and you're also yeah
0: everyone gets a chance to wander around the other tables.
1: Yeah, yeah, and um, it's like a competition to see who can stay away from the bar for the longest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I did a few of those uh, the um, comic uh, comicette things. I think I've been to a couple of them. Right, right. It's a while ago since I did any. Yeah, but um, I I was selling the um, later self-published stuff that I did that was all um, sketchbook comic strips, kind of like diary kind of things. I published three three, um, little books of those. Um,
0: Me talking to myself about myself as usual.
1: That's it, yeah. That's the one, yeah. And um, one called Hand and one called Underpants.
0: Well, that moves us on to, um, I guess, your sort of working relationship with Avery Hall Publishing, where you've... uh, put out a couple of things. Um, how did you sort of get involved or get in touch with with Avery Hill in the first place?
1: Oh, yeah, that was good. So, um, Gareth Brooks was having an um, opening night sort of thing for, was it the, the Black Project? Right, yeah, the Myriad book. Yeah. yeah, and that was in some place in West London, Print Studio or something somewhere. And um, I went there and we all went to the pub afterwards and towards the end of... Even in sitting in a pub um, I found myself sitting next to someone Who I didn't know and just you know Said hello and that and it turned out that That was Ricky and when he Told me that he was a publisher I said oh I suppose I should um, should show you My (laughs) comics
0: Um, (laughs) I I like the idea of this coming out Like just social obligation I guess What I have to do now Like almost weary just sort of like I guess I better show you this
1: thing. Oh that's not really it to be honest It's that's that's a nice kind of um, sideways way of of introducing that this is what I want to do. That's <laughs> I it. Um, you just tell them that that's the sort of thing that you think that you should probably be doing. Right, that's, right. It's so doing, you are actually doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the way I approached that, and it kind of seemed to go quite well because then he, he wanted to put one out, and then it went from there. And the yeah. first
0: one was. Uh but the, the title was A Quiet Disaster, I shouldn't say the first one was A Quiet Disaster, uh, but the, <laughs> the title of the first piece was A Quiet Disaster, do you want to tell us a little bit about that?
1: Partly it was inspired by A Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, in the, in the way that it's just um, a whole day, you know, from beginning to end, in some kind of um, tedious sort of drudgery, although, I mean, it's kind of really, I mean, it's nothing, I mean, that's, that's kind of a, even appalling to compare it. A, about i was such gonna it.
0: say ulysses by james <laughs> joyce but i mean we've all got our sort of like novels in a single day well, you're in good yeah. company
1: yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i mean that sounds a bit like blowing my own trumpet to even put myself in the company of those two sorry i did it i did it <laughs> all right <laughs> but um anyway i like i like that idea a lot and um it was it was kind of Autobiographical a bit, but it was. I was also at this point moving away from being completely autobiographical, but not really telling anyone that I was doing that. So most people assumed that it was all real. Then again, apart from the bits where there's a dog wearing glasses, <laughs> and actually no, that bit. Oh, that bit kind of was real, but bits of it I made. I did make up some <laughs> of it. To see. But, and yeah, I don't know. It was the kind of aimless day. It was like loads of aimless days off, all condensed into one. The worst bits where absolutely nothing happened.
0: I think yeah. that's the, the, the sort of, uh, we, we did it for the, um, the reading group. Uh, gosh, okay. and it really seemed to sort of like strike a chord with people. You know, you send about whether things are autobiographical or not. But I think sort of tonally, um, you know, everyone can recognise those moments where you're sort of like, oh, I can do anything today. What am I going to do? And you sort of, like, have five different options, so you don't really choose any of them. And then it's suddenly three o'clock, and you're like, oh, I can't redo really half of those things now. And if I go anywhere, am I going to be back in time? It's that sort of thing, and the, the, the day just yeah. sort of drifts away from you. Um, but I thought it was, a you know, um, uh, uh, as a piece as well, you've got that that thing where the character is... Aware of that situation But also quite angry about it So you get that sort of tension to it as well Where he's very sort of frustrated with himself Isn't he for what he's doing and not doing
1: I suppose so <laughs> I, mean, it's as if, I mean there's There's a lot of um, It's not, I think you wouldn't call it monologue It's more like dialogue isn't it It's like arguing with yourself Yeah definitely definitely. There, which is something that I found quite an interesting process um, And it came really naturally <laughs> I think it's one of those things where if you, ju- you just try and be um, honest, um, lots of people end up relating to it. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I'm not sure what else to say about it.
0: That's great. That gives people an idea about the piece, hopefully uh, yeah. entices them to head over to the uh,
1: the web shop. Oh, yeah, should I say it's, it's really good? <laughs> <laughs>
0: There's a similar uh, tension, I think, in uh, your most recent work with Avery Hill. Uh, It's cold in the river at night where you have Mm. a protagonist who sort of veers between frustration and desperation in terms of his action and inaction. He's sort of worried that he's doing the right thing or the wrong thing, but also worried that he's not doing anything. Um, Do you want to give us a little overview about this piece?
1: Something I've struggled to to ever be able to sum up, you know, this book. It's been really interesting to look at the reviews and, and see all the people doing it. See what it. people are taking from it sort of thing, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, the, 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 the character I seem him as being... This time it was not autobiographical, obviously. I never lived in a house on stilts. Um, <laughs> and it was the first... So it's really the first time I tried doing anything... Fictional to this degree, and it's the longest thing I've ever done, and it seemed really important to have fully worked out characters and understand their motivations and all of that. When when you're being autobiographical, you you already instinctively know all of that because it's all they're all your own. But in this case, it uh, was it was a lot more complicated, and um, that the, the main character, Carl, is um well he's he's a bit of a bit of an asshole.
0: Yeah, that's what's interesting, isn't it? Like it's something where, and it, you know, similar thing with Quiet Disaster, where your protagonists are not necessarily hugely sympathetic, but there's still recognition there, isn't there? When you, uh, f- I think for me, when you read it, we're all capable of thinking about things in a very selfish, self-centered way.
1: Yeah, it's just how much of that, um, you know, you choose to inflict on the rest of the world, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. He doesn't seem to have any um, control over that bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, cool. I mean, he uh, he at least um, contrasted him to Philip in A Quiet Disaster. He's at least got some motivation and some ideas. You know, it doesn't necessarily all go his way. He doesn't um, exactly bounce back when it doesn't go his way. But, um, you know, he's got a bit more of a plan. (laughs) They're both quite interesting as pieces where
0: you sort of have one where the main character sort of struggles to find energy and focus and purpose. And because Mm. of that, you know, has a bit of a a terrible time. And then you have your other character where he's almost desperate to have energy and focus and purpose and Mm. doesn't have a great time. (laughs) So there's, uh, but, you know, uh, I think they're both, um, Great journeys as well. I found as as pieces. Again, tonally, it's cold in the river at night. They're so sort of uh, rich without being, you know, there's nothing showy about it or bombastic. But there's oh, definitely yeah. real sort of texture to it throughout the whole piece. I think.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm I'm kind of turned off by comics that are really, you know, flashy and I don't know, big. Um... <laughs> You know, panels where they're like cut across at an angle and stuff and then there's explosions and funny dynamic camera angles and stuff. I don't th- there's probably nothing wrong with that and I'm sure you can do a lot of interesting stuff with it, but it always, I don't know, I'm, I'm more interested in just doing everything really straight and letting the um, the action and, and the words tell the story instead, perhaps a bit more like you would do in um, in a television programme or something, you know, like I find myself more and more attracted to the idea of television drama. Up until this point, kind of always limited myself to not wanting to tell any stories that I've, you know, that I couldn't ever actually see happen in front of my own eyes and, and, you know, actually relate to in real life. So I've never seen a gun. I've never seen an explosion or anybody get killed or anything. So I'm steering away from all of that kind of thing. And it kind of points you in a different sort of direction. And if you want to have any kind of drama, it has to come from somewhere else. doesn't it? Um, so I suppose yeah that that's that kind of comment on what you said, didn't
0: it <laughs> yeah, I think so. but, but I think also there is a there's a great sort of drama that can be plowed from naturalism, you know you know there there's there is a drama that can come from from bombast and you know uh excitement and energy and intensity, but there's certainly uh, a drama that can come from you know things moving at a slower pace but still moving towards. Some sort of uh, emotional moment or breakthrough, I think. Undoubtedly.
1: There's, there's drama in the, in the weather in this one as well. Yeah, I quite like that. Yeah. There's sort of a, a flow of, I don't know, night and day and um, sunny and then it's rainy and stuff. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, it, it, in terms of sort of narrative tension as well, you know, I think it's really. It's, it, there's a sort of almost this underlying reward in terms of tension where you know they're literally living on a house in stilts on a river uh and there were you know houses either side or next to them that have collapsed and fallen away and that's always sort of there in the background isn't it where it's like i mean these houses this house will fall down at one point and they're they're constantly plugging the wall to stop water coming in and uh sort of wondering if like it's going to be there when it comes back if there's a high wind sort of thing
1: where did that come from Adam? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm going to spring this on you now. Uh, are you working on any new projects at the moment? Any sort of comicsy
1: things? I got something in mind. I've done a bit of writing and a little bit of drawing. Yeah, but it's it's still um, very early days for this project. But um, but yeah, it seems to be about well, it's about the Moors, uh, as in the uh, the Pennines, not the um, not the warriors from. <laughs> not, yeah, no, not those Moors. Um, <laughs> And a middle-aged hiker, and um, a couple of people who live in one of the uh, towns down at the bottom of the hill. So that's probably all I can say about it now. But no, no, um, that's
0: enough to have me uh, intrigued.
1: So there's, there'll be more weather. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm again, I'm drawn to, to, um, like I was with. Um, It's cold in the river at night. I I was very tempted to do that in black and white or a very limited palette, and was persuaded to to use color. And I'm again, I'm I'm leaning towards black and white with this one. Right, right. But we'll we'll see. We will. I'm looking forward to it. Gets finished.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Alex, where can people find you online or see your work or uh, buy your comics? Do you have a, a Twitter handle or anything like that?
1: Yeah, on Twitter, I'm Av Potts, although I've not been doing so much on that recently. Instagram, I think I'm now, uh, yeah, you can find me on Instagram. Are people easy to find on Instagram? I don't I know. think so. There's a little search box <laughs> in the corner, isn't there? Yeah, because I can't remember what my name is. I think it's <laughs> underscore Alex Potts, all one word, underscore. Yeah. And then um, my website, alexanderpots.com, and you can find the books at Avery Hill, of course. Um, of course, of course. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks for joining us. Oh, that's all right. Uh, it's been nice. Thanks to Alex for talking to us there, and thanks to you for listening. That's it for this month, but do pop back next month for another chat with a creator and more Avery Hill news. Cheers. This show is a Holdfast Network production. Go to holdfastnetwork.com for other programs you may enjoy.